If you have your Bible, we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 17. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to go grab one off the back. If you need to borrow it, you can borrow it. If you need to uh, use it and um, take it with you because you need to keep it, uh, feel free to do that. We'll turn there in just a minute. Uh, We're going to pray. Before we do that, I just wanted to recognize um, there are about 33 or so um, college-age kids um, and one responsible young man named EJ, uh, who is uh, a team lead for them. So if you're part of the camp and the city staff, would you stand up where you are? Yes, we're excited that you're here. Don't sit down. Don't sit down yet. Don't sit down. Don't sit down. Uh, here's what we want to do. We want to pray for you because we believe that God's going to use you this week um, to impact some lives and to change not only eternal destinies, but maybe, God willing, whole family trees because of what he does. And so, church family, if you got somebody close and you want to turn around and grab them by the hand, uh, whatever, just feel free to do that right now. Uh, if you want to shift your physical posture, maybe you want to stand or maybe you want to kneel, do something like that, feel free to do that. We're going to take a moment and pray for this week and especially for these uh, men and women, okay? God, we are aware that we live in a broken world. Uh, I think about the news coming out of London last night, uh, all that was. um, Lord, mercy on that situation, and may the church in England, particularly in London, rise up with a voice of compassion um, and actions that follow. Uh, But Lord, that's just one symptom of a broken world. Uh, There's brokenness all around us here. Um, People disconnected from one another, certainly many disconnected from you. Uh, God, we're praying that you would do um, the kind of work this week that changes lives. Um, Transformation would be the word, the story that we hear over and over and over again. There would be a uh, a sense, God, um, that... that, uh, (laughs) We have, just, we have been able to hear story after story after story of, of transformation. We would just collect volumes of all of these things that you've done this week. So we pray for the, the kids who are coming. We pray for their families. Father, we're asking that you would open up the ears that need to be open. For those who are believers, may they be strengthened in their faith and live out the things that you have for them. And for those who are not, Father, we pray that they would see the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus and come to know you. And again, not just them, but for whole households to be changed. Uh, Pray for this staff. Thank you for their willingness and their sacrifice and their commitment. We pray that they would be healthy. Yes, Uh, God, you know that there is rain in the forecast. And what we say is, you know what's best. And so we say yes and amen and do what's best. Uh, Lord, work. And as we turn to your word, God, would you open us up and ready us for all of this? And we ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. Very good. So if you have a Bible, and like I said, we're in 1 Samuel chapter 17. Um, We are in this series, Tales of the Shepherd King. 
stories of David's life. If you know a story about David, this is the one that you know. And even if you don't, if you're not sure about exactly what the details are, you know the story of David and Goliath because everybody loves an underdog story. Whether it is sports fans in here, whether it is, do you believe in miracles? Anybody with me on that? Anybody with me? Uh, the, uh, Al Michaels making the call there when the um, United States beat the Soviets in 1980 in hockey. Uh, the Boston Red Sox finally breaking the curse of the Bambino. Uh, however you want, I mean, however you want it, Cleveland, uh, any Cleveland fans? <laughs> Smart people. See, I knew I liked you. Uh, so whatever. You just, it, you, everybody loves a good comeback story. Everybody loves a good underdog story. Uh, it is such a good story today that I really think what I'm supposed to do is just help us work through this story, make a couple of observations along the way. Let's go from there. First Samuel 17. Now the Philistines gathered uh, their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Sokah, uh, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Sokah and Azekah in Ephes Verse 2, and Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in line of battle uh, against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain of the one side, and Israel stood on the mountain of the other side with a valley between them. So in your mind, let's just pause for a second. Just a second. In your mind, picture this, okay? Big valley kind of playing out here. You got a slope that's rising up on one side. Philistines are camped over here. A slope that rises up on the other side. Israelites and Saul uh, are camped over here, okay? So we got this valley out here, this kind of spot with the hills that rise up, and that's where the camps are. Verse 4. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height with six cubits in a span. Let's talk for just a second about the enemy, about the giant. Um, let, let's start by no, just noting this, that the giant is real. And some of you think, boy, I came to church for this. But here's the thing. I'm not sure we talk about this enough, um, that there are things out there that we try to maybe paint or gloss over or somehow hide in some cloud or in some fluffy language, and we kind of put it in the same zip code as unicorns, like I'm not so sure. Instead, let's talk about the giant like the Bible talks about the giant. His name is Goliath, and he's from Gath. He's real. And I think we, when we deal with the things that are going on in our lives that feel gigantic. It's good to talk, them, talk about them as real things. His name is Goliath. He's from Gath. And look what it says at the end of verse 4. Whose height was six cubits and a span. Um, if you're not up on your biblical measurements, that's the better part of nine feet tall is what that is. Nine feet and some change. And just to give you perspective, um, the top of my head is somewhere around nine and some change right here from the floor. So if we bring one of you wee people up here and just stand here, you would get a sense of David versus Goliath. I mean, it is, he's a dude. He's a big old honking dude. He's real and he's big. And check, check out what happens here. Verse five, he had a helmet of bronze on his head and he was armed with a coat of mail and the, the, that armor. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze, somewhere in the ballpark of 125 pounds or so. And so he's, he's a monster of a man. Uh, and the, uh, verse six, and he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. Uh, the shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam. And so uh, dowel rod, you think about an inch and a half dowel rod. I mean, this is a thick thing. And his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, about 15 pounds. So imagine putting two shot put balls on the end of a spear 
and throwing that sucker. That's what we're talking about. I mean, this dude is a hoss. And his shield bearer, it says at the end of verse 7, went before him. He's real and he's big. And he stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel. Not whispered, not talked, not sent an email, not posted on Facebook, not Snapchatted them. He shouted to the ranks of Israel, why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. Don't forget this. He shouted. So he's loud. The giant is big. He's real. He's big. And he's loud. Verse 9. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, (laughs) then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. It was going to be a representative battle. Verse 10, and the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Can we pause for a second? Because sometimes we read the Bible and we're like, I don't really know what that means. Uh, let's say you go to your Tuesday meeting with your team or your task force or your people or whomever, uh, and you're sitting there and you get to thinking about the problem that you're so- trying to solve or the competition that you're going against or whatever. And you, you go like this, I defy that competition to be, your people are going to look at you and do what? What is he talking about? What is she saying? This is the Old Testament version of smack talk. I mean, that's what this is, okay? Like, they're no good. They're no count. I defy them. They can't, they can't keep up with us here. Um, this is mocking is what it is. I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man. If you can find one is his implication. Give me a man that we may fight together. Verse 11, and when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. He's real, he's big, he's loud. He mocks, he mocks us. And it just gets worse from there. Skipping down a little bit, David um, uh, is sent by his dad to check on his three older brothers who are there with Saul. Remember, got Philistines on one side in the valley and then the Israelites on the other side. David's brothers are in the Israelite camp. Um, skip down, if you will. Um, he brings them some stuff, but skip down to um, verse uh, 16. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward and took his stand morning and evening. He's persistent. 40 days. The Philistine would walk out from the ranks, stand down somewhere in the valley and be like, hey, you people, you got a guy yet? Where's your guy? Breakfast time. We didn't need roosters crowing. You know why? Because Goliath of Gath, the Philistine giant, would come down and would call it out. Dinner time, you didn't need to ring the bell so that people knew when it was evening time, time to eat. Why? Because Goliath, the giant of Gath, he would come down and he would mock. He's a persistent giant. He's a persistent enemy. And don't miss this part. He's also uh, invasive. Look at verse 23. Just skip down a little bit. As he talked with them, Behold, the champion, David talked with some of these guys. Behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. So don't miss this. At first, we had came out. So he kind of stepped out of the line and started talking to smack. Hey, you over there. Then he came. Remember where, remember where we are? We got a hill and a valley and a hill. So then he came out at first. Then he came down. And now what is verse 23 said? He came up 
See what's happening here? He started there, and he's moved down, and now he's coming up out of the ranks of the Philistines. Now he's getting braver. The longer he goes, the more he moves forward, the more he steps closer. Hey, hey, I don't have to shout anymore. This giant, real, big, loud, mocking, persistent, uh, invasive. You've had, you've had this experience before. Uh, let's pretend one of our Camp in the City friends is taking his girl on a date. He's got important things to talk about. They're, they're collegiates. They do this thing, right? So he's going to go to this place where there's live music. And uh, man, here, this is a great place. They got good food and there's live music. Who doesn't like live music? So they go and he walks up to the little person who's going to uh, seat the couple. Oh, yes, too. Oh, yes, we've got a reservation. Seven o'clock. Oh, it's seven o'clock. That's perfect. Come with me. And they walk him back to the table and they're excited about the date and the restaurant's food and the live music. And they put them right by the speaker. Well, at that point, everything has changed, right? Why? Because when the band cranks up, playing whatever cover song they're playing, uh, whenever, whenever that happens, what do you have? You have something that's real and big and loud and mocking because when they pause, they hit that last chord, and then you go, oh, finally. Hey, I've been wanting to tell you something. Oh, next song, and off they go. I mean, right when you think you're going to get a chance to say something, the band cranks up again, right? You have that moment, and they're persistent, and they're invasive because here's the thing. Um, the, the reason I kind of point that out, give you that example, is this that in, in that kind of arena right there, in that kind of arena, it's blocking the relationship that you really want. That's what giants tend to do. That's what the enemy tends to do, is block the relationship that you really want. And maybe it sounds like this. Maybe it's this whisper of deceit. I just wrote a few of these down. A whisper of deceit that says something like this. Hey, he really didn't mean this when he said it. That's what the serpent whispered to Eve in the garden. Hey, God really didn't mean that. That's what he whispers to us so often. This whisper of deceit. Maybe, um, prayed about rain, maybe it's this kind of rain cloud of isolation that's out there, it's on the horizon, it's looming, your eye is kind of always on it, trying to figure out if it's going to come, if it's not, if it's dangerous, if it's not, and that rain cloud of isolation sits out there, and it's going to be something like, well, if people ever really found out, they would never want to be around you, never wanted to be your friend, never wanted to marry you, never wanted to stay with you, never wanted to, if people really found out. Maybe it's the ping of distraction. So I'm writing these things down in my studying this week, writing these things down, and I'm not kidding. I write down, it's the ping of distraction. And you know what happens? My phone goes off. You think I'm kidding. I'm not. I'm like, ha ha, that's funny. Thank you. I'm going to keep working diligently. Thank you so much. But he did. It went off. And how many of us, our relationships get blocked because some distraction Maybe it is this kind of threat of disconnection. He'll never really forgive you. And maybe you've been around church enough to know that God forgives all kinds of sins. And so it's not, the disconnection is not that he won't forgive you. It's just that your relationship with him will never recover. It, there will always be some built-in distance because of this. 
Or maybe, maybe it's this taunt, if you will, of discouragement that says, hey, listen, you'll never be able to do that. That's what the enemy can sound like. Deceit, discouragement, distraction, isolation, disconnection, distance, whatever it is. This is what the giant does. And I wish that were the end of the story for the like, bad part. Like, I wish we could skip ahead. But, but look at what happens. Verse 24. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. So again, we got Goliath who's come out from the ranks, who's come now down from the ranks, and now he's coming up from the ranks. So he keeps getting closer. And what's the response of the men of Israel? Hey, pal, don't come any closer. We'll take you out right now. What? No, no, what's their response? They fled in fear. And that's one of the effects when the giant starts coming our way. That's one of the effects that we feel first is this sense of fear. Sometimes it looks like fight. Most of the time, though, in this particular case here, it looks like flight, where you, you tend to run away. You tend to push away. You tend to get out of the way. You, just, you don't want to have anything to do with it. That's what happens here. The worst part is it's infectious because it wasn't just a single person who did that. Look at verse 24 again. How many of the men of Israel? All of it. Had we had some women around, we would have stuck it out. But I mean, you know, because y'all give us strength. All the men of Israel, though, we're like, I'm out of here. Um, all the men of Israel. So one person got scared. You've seen this in your groups. You see this in your friend circles. You've seen this in your prayer groups, whatever. Where one person takes on fear and owns that. And it becomes a battle then to not let it infect everybody else. Fear does that. Verse, skip down just a little bit more here. Um, well, let's just read. Let's just read. Verse 25. And the men of Israel said, it's, it's such a good story. Have you seen this man who's come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter. So you get money, you get the princess, and make his father house free in Israel. Even better, you get to live tax-free. No IRS ever again. I mean, that's a good deal right there, isn't it? Verse 26, and David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done uh, for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine uh, that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way. So shall it be done for the man who kills him. Verse 28, now Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's, what? His anger was kindled against David. And he said, why have you come down? Anybody have an older brother? Been talked to like this? Why have you come down? Look at the next question. And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? Hey, why are you here, you skunky little kid? And what happened to the two or three things that you were supposed to be taking care of? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. Oh, you just wanted to watch. Anger. When fear, when the giant comes, one of the effects is fear. The other one, one of the other major ones, first ones to feel is anger. Here's the crazy part about anger. Sometimes it can target someone that actually has nothing to do with. So Eliab here, he's not really mad at David. It says that his anger was kindled against David, but that word kind of points us to, hey, he just, he's taking it out on David. Anybody ever had that moment when you realize that you're mad? and you're taking it out on somebody, but you're not really mad at them? 
That's the thing about anger. It's why we have to deal with it and deal with it with some sense of honesty uh, in, in, in and of ourselves. Why? Because it can be over here in some other area, but it's so pervasive that it permeates every sphere of our, sphere of our lives, and we end, up take, we end up taking it out on people that are not related to it at all. Anger. Keep going. Verse 29. And David said, what have I done now? Was it not but a word? I'm just asking questions, pal. Don't miss this. Verse 30. And he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way. Who should he be there to support? His brother. Who should he be there to check on? His brother. But he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way. And the people answered him again as before. One of the things that comes with fear and anger when the giant comes our way, one of the things that comes is discord. Discord, this kind of relational um, disconnect. It's something like this. Um, you, uh, uh, this happens, especially this time of year. I know we've got a pilot or two in here. Um, you, this happens this time of year where you take off from somewhere. You're coming into Houston. You're going to land at Hobby. You're going to land at, at Bush. And you're coming in. Everything's been great up until uh, about you know, 15 minutes out. Put your seatbelt on. Time to return your seats. We're almost there. Pilot comes on. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, there's a good Texas thunderstorm up here just ahead of us. So uh, it might be a little bumpy coming in. And all of a sudden... You hit about 10,000, 8,000, 5,000 feet, and what your world is like, you know, you're holding on to things, you're grabbing a kid to make sure that they don't go flying. You just, you thought everything was fine until you hit that turbulence. That, that's what discord feels like. You thought everything was just fine, and all of a sudden relational turbulence just messes you up. You thought, I, I thought we were okay here. I was just bringing you some stuff. Man, where'd that come from? Then, as if that's not enough, verse 31, when the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul. He sent for him, and David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail um, because, uh, because of him, because of this Philistine, that Yahoo over there. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. And then Saul said to David, you're not, you're not able to go and fight the Philistine. You, you can't go fight with him. You're but a youth. And he's been a man of war from his youth. When the giant comes, one of the effects of that is doubt. One of the effects of that is doubt. And that's, that's mainly because, well, let me just, let me, remember when we had the supermoon two months ago, give or take, two or three months ago? Anybody supermoon with me on that? Okay. So uh, we, have a, we have a telescope, and it's a small telescope. It's not a toy, but it's a small telescope. And so we were like, hey, let's put this out in the front yard. We'll look at the supermoon. It's going to be great. Uh, maybe it was longer than that ago. Maybe it feels like that now. But anyway, we're, gonna, we're just going to check the moon out. It's going to come right up here. It's going to be great. So my job was to set the telescope up. I'm like, hey, this can't be hard. Put the telescope in. Da, da, da. But I look in the little thing, and all I see is this brown, mushy stuff. And I'm like, what is this? Uh, this can't be right. Read the instructions again. Do it again. Brown, brown stuff all over again. I mean, that's all you see, just this brown mess of stuff. Uh, looks like a kid's painting, just, you know, like that. So I call my brother, PhD in aerospace engineering. Thank you very much. I'm like, hey, PhD in aerospace little brother. Uh, I need to know how to work my little telescope here because I want to watch us a super moon. He goes, well, did you put the eyepiece in? You're no better than Google. Uh, that's, you're, no, you're no help at all. Yes, I put the eyepiece in. Then he asked a very pertinent question. He said, what do you have it pointed at? (laughs) 
I was looking at a tree 20 feet away, no kidding. <laughs> so you shift it a little bit and look at the sign way the heck across the neighborhood, you know, then you can, then you're like, oh, I see what I'm doing here. I'm down there. Hey, that worked. Thanks so much. Just left it at that. I mean, our telescope is no little toy. I mean, so if you're looking at a tree 20 feet away, you know what you see when you look at the viewfinder? A bunch of brown, messy stuff. I mean, that's kind of all it looks like, right? And sometimes the giant comes right up to us just like this, and it feels like that's all that we can see. That's all that we can see. And that's the root of our doubt. Because we can't see God at work. We can't sense God's presence with us. Why? Because the giant is so present to us. Fear, anger, discord, doubt. Last thing, verse 38. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. D David, he tells Saul, hey, look, pal, I, I, I've done bears. I got bears. I've done lions. I've got lions. God delivered me out of the paw of the lion and of the bear. He's going to deliver me out of the paw, literally the same word, the paw of this Philistine. That's not going to be a big deal for God. Verse 38. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor. And he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. You remember Saul's taller, head taller than everybody else. So David's walking around. Um, looking like, you know, he's in a full body cast of armor here. He can't figure out what's, he's like, this is just not going to work. It's just not going to work. Um, <clears throat> so David put them off, verse 40. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the brook, put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand. He approached the Philistine. Saul put on, uh, his, Saul put on Saul's armor on David. Um, and, and in doing so, I, I didn't have a better word than this, but this, one of the effects of the giant coming towards us is that we that we pose. We have, there's a posing problem. Who should have been wearing Saul's armor? Saul should have. Who should have been leading the charge against the enemies of God and his people? Saul should have. That's exactly right. Instead, he's putting armor on David. And some commentators, and I think there's a lot to this based upon Saul's character and the rest of what we see. Some think, hey, what he wanted was some claim in whatever the outcome was. Oh, yeah, well, David won, but he won, my, he won with my armor. Some people even think that maybe just maybe they were going to mistake if they saw Saul's armor walking out, maybe they would think it was Saul instead of David. Posing. It has a way of making us want to rewrite the story so that we don't come out looking as bad as it actually was. So in that moment right there, we need a champion. We need a champion. David is walking out there. That's, they needed a champion, and we need one too. Questions come up, something like this. Well, listen, can't, I mean, Goliath's a big old dude. Like, can't I run away? What's the answer to that? No. Why? Because he started up here coming out from the ranks of the Philistines to coming down from the ranks of the Philistines to coming up from the ranks of the Philistines. What's he consistently doing? Taking ground. Hey, listen to me. There is no neutral ground. There's just not. Anytime the darkness pushes forward, if the light doesn't stand, the darkness will claim that ground. You can't run away. Well, can't I stand and fight? No. Why? Because you're not going to beat Goliath. Let's be honest. He's nine feet tall. He's got a shield that walks out in front of him. He's, he's got a bowling ball on the end of a, a javelin that he's going to throw. I mean, like, you're not going to beat him. 
You're not going to. It's just not in you. You will not and you cannot win. The question then becomes this, but am I not David in this story? Um, somebody came up with this illustration, and I don't remember who it is, but it's, it's, it's right. So uh, it's, the, it's the end of the school year, wrapped up this past week. Uh, some people um, you know, got their yearbook stuff squared away. When the yearbook comes in, what's the very first thing that people are going to do when they get to the yearbook? They're going to look for themselves because they want to know what their senior picture turned out like or what the so if I had my senior yearbook here I was a tennis and basketball player I'd be looking I'd look oh there I am look oh yeah there um here's we had a great a great FFA program at the high school where I went if you turn to the FFA page though and you were looking for me if I turned to the FFA page and were looking for me you know what I would not find me why because I wasn't in it I, I did other stuff and in fact, if, if somebody who was in it came by and I, what are you doing? Oh, I'm looking for me. You're looking at the FFA page. Yeah, that's weird for you to do that. Why? Because you weren't there. You didn't do it. Like, why would you be looking for yourself in a different place? That doesn't make sense. And indeed, it's even slightly dishonoring to those um, who were there. In the same way, when we try to write ourselves into this story as David, guess what? It's a little silly because you are not David. And it's slightly dishonoring to the champion that we have. Well, I think I'm David. How do you know that you're not David? Because when the giant comes, your reaction is fear, anger, discord, doubt, and posing. How do you know that? Because it shows up on your social media sites. The way that you talk about the giant that you're facing. It shows up in the way that you turn to other things other than God. You're not David. We need a champion. The Israelites needed a champion. Good news. There was a champion. Here's who David was. Here's who the Bible says David was. David was the anointed one of God who spoke God's word and then defeated the enemy. The anointed one of God, chapter 16, um, uh, prophet Samuel comes along and anoints him uh, as the king to be, the one who spoke God's word. So he has said multiple times, hey, that guy's just a Philistine, man. God's going to take that guy out. And indeed, look what happens here as it happens. Excuse me, as it comes forward here. Uh, look at, skip down to verse 44, uh, 43, excuse me. And the Philistine said to David, And I am, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Verse 45. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear, with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel. Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down, and I will cut off your head. Now that's smack talk right there. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistine, all your friends, this day to the birds of the air, to the beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. He spoke God's word. And then he took a sling, and he put a stone in it, and look what happens. Verse 
48, when the Philistine arose and came near and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone, and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the ground. Pause right there. God uses simple tools to accomplish great things. You know why that's good news for you and for me? Because we're simple tools. And he uses simple tools to accomplish great things. And then, this is just simple. I I mean, my brother's a smart one. But he got hit in the head with a stone. If you get hit in the head with a stone, I mean, which way are you falling? I just... You know what I mean? Like, that's, that's how that works, right? But he fell face first down. Why is that? It seemed like God was like, Bing. Verse 50, we're almost done. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. This is what's called a summary verse. I was talking to somebody about this in between the services. It's a summary verse. Here's how that happened. Verse 51. or fifty. There was no sword in the hand of David. Verse 51. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. The stone knocked him out and David took the sword and killed him. Killed him. And he cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled and so forth. So David was the anointed one of God who spoke God's word and defeated the enemy with his own weapon. With his own weapon, he beat him. So here's this. We need a champion. The Israelites needed a champion and David was there. We need a champion. And guess what? We have one. Jesus is. He's the anointed one of God, the Messiah sent for you and for me. He is the one who has spoken God's word to us. And he is the one who has defeated our enemies. Jesus is that one who, has, who is the anointed one, who has spoken God's word, and who has defeated God's enemies. Listen to me. The, the enemy that you and I face, the enemy that was a, a struggle for you and me, the enemy that was going to overcome us, that we could never defeat, sin and death. And what did Jesus do? He conquered the enemy by becoming sin for us, and by entering into death that he may conquer it. Jesus is our champion. Here's the great news. We needed a champion and we got one. And he's already conquered the two biggest giants in our lives. And anything else that we face, what we can know is the champion is already out in front of us and he's fighting for us. And so wherever you are today, if you're a follower of Jesus in here and you've you got some stuff that's coming your way and you feel like, man, it's going to be right here before I know it. It's already come down off the hill through the valley and it's coming up. Don't seed ground. Uh-uh. Don't give up. There's a champion going out before you and fighting for you. And if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, let me make this invitation to you. The two biggest things that you would ever struggle with, the two biggest obstacles or enemies, giants, if you will, you would ever overcome is your own sin 
your willingness and rebellion to turn away from God and the death that comes as a result of that. And Jesus has beaten both of those by becoming sin for you and paying for that sin, dying in your place and coming back from the dead to destroy death. We sing it sometimes. He trampled over death by death. He used his own weapon to defeat it. You can turn from your sin today and put your trust in Jesus and begin a relationship with him. Jesus is our champion. We're going to come to a time of communion where we're going to take a few minutes to pause and celebrate. And so I'm going to invite you to go ahead and close up, put stuff up, whatever you need to do, and I'll explain how we're going to do this in just half a second. But I don't want to rush past this because we have a great champion who is who has fought for us and who fights for us still. You'll come to the tables here in a minute. This is the way that we do this on Sundays like this. You'll come to the tables here in just a moment. You come with your family or come with friends. Um, church family, obviously, if you've got somebody around you looks like they may need some help, either getting to the elements, uh, or you can just help them, or just pick up the elements and bring it back to them. You come to the table, you take that little wafer. You're taking in your hand a reminder that the body of Jesus was broken for us. And you'll take the little cup and you'll have some time where you reflect on that. You'll remember that in this cup, it's representation of the blood of Jesus that he has poured out his life for us. It's a reminder of what he's done, that he is our champion, that he's done this for us. I want to say that any follower of Jesus is welcome to participate in this, and we're, we're not going to hurry. We want to intentionally interrupt ourselves to have this moment here. When you're ready, you can come to the table and celebrate communion. Let me pray for us, and then we'll get going.